J.L. Kraft, the head of Kraft Cheese Corporation, who had given approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years, said this, The only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money that I have given to the Lord. J.D. Rockefeller says, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made. Think about that, million dollars. If I had not tied the first salary, which was $1.50 a week. G. Mueller said, God gives, sorry, God judges what we give by what we keep. Peter Marshall said, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. And then Hudson Taylor says this, When God's work is done in God's way for God's glory, it will never lack God's supply. You see, there's no question that giving is a large part of what God called Christians to do. And for many Christians, it is one of the hardest parts to do as well. And when we give, we are serving God We are releasing his provision and we're releasing his blessing on our lives as well as the lives of others. Giving releases a supernatural element into our life that we will lack if we do not do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So tonight, part seven of the Believer's Toolbox is giving. Let's pray. Father God, help us tonight. God, let us hear from you uh, and your spirit this evening, God, as we put our trust in you completely. Lord, we lean upon you this this night. In Jesus' name, amen. So for believers, there are many different types of giving, right? When I say giving, the first thing that probably comes to many of our minds is tithes, right? And that's the one you hear about the most at church. And there's more than just that, but we will start there tonight. So the first one is giving to God. And this is known as a couple different things. The first one is tithes. Leviticus 27, 30 through 33. uh, God says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of its tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of, uh, of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. For if he does substitute for it, then both the substitute shall be holy and it shall not be redeemed. So this word tithe in the Hebrew is masar, which literally just means one-tenth or ten percent. Now, in this time that this law was given, that this command from God was given, animals and produce was essentially currency. Like they didn't have, you know, George Washington on their money. They didn't have a minted coin. They, they, lived off the land, they provided for themselves, and they bartered and traded. So things that you lived off of was basically currency. And God lays it out very simply. You got ten sheep, one of them is the Lord's. 
You got ten apples, one of them is the Lord's. You see, modern application for us is simply applied to money, right? We don't go to work and get paid in, in sheep or apples <laughs> or gum, right? I mean, maybe when we were a kid, we'd go pull weeds at Grandma's house and she'd buy us a candy bar. But as adults, we get paid in money. That is the income that we make, and then we use that to buy the lamb chops or the apples or the gum that we need or want. You're, you're harvesting grain, and you're like, okay, well, like we tend, do I take count every piece of grain, or do I just weigh it out, right? No, it's just you make 10 bucks, you give a buck, right? That is one-tenth, simple math. And let me tell you guys, if you don't know how to do the simple math, take your paycheck multiply it by 0.1, or divide it by 10, and that's 10%. Write that down. Or just ask Google, hey Google, what's 10% of? <laughs> but it's actually a lot simpler for us to calculate, but it's a lot more difficult for us to give because money, well, it could mean anything, right? You got 10 sheep and it's just a sheep. Like, all right, I got nine more. But when you have money, you're like, oh, that could be a gallon of gas. That could be a new video game. That could be a pink drink from Starbucks. <laughs> it could be a part for my gun. You laughed the loudest, so. It could be lots of different things, and we look at the things that we want. We look at the things that we don't have. We look at the bills that need paid. And we think, that 10% could be put to use, right? But this scripture tells us something really important that every believer must understand. It says, every tithe of the land is the Lord's, and it is holy to the Lord. You see, this is the most crucial part about tithing for anyone to understand, is that it was never ours to begin with. The Bible says that that 10% is God's, and not only is it God's, it is holy to the Lord. So if we keep it for anything else, we are using something that God considers His. Not only that, considers His and holy for something else. We spent the Lord's money on ammo or pink drinks or bills. Right? That, that's the most common thing, right? We're like... Oh, I got to pay my tithe, but I'm also behind on my utilities or my this or whatever. But the word of God says that that wasn't yours to use on anything anyway. And verse 31 shows how serious God is about this. Verse 31 says, if a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, so in other words, use it for himself, and then say, I'll, I'll, God, I'll pay you back later. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, then he shall add a fifth to it. Now, for those of you who don't do math quickly, that's 30%. That's 30. So God says, okay, you, you know what? You need to pay your light bill. You want to keep your tithe this week? Next paycheck, it's 30. 30%. Or next time, it's three sheep or three apples. Right? And of course, we're talking about much bigger numbers, but I'm doing simple math tonight. 
So God says you need to keep that one buck. Next time it's three bucks plus the other 10%. So really it's 40%. And this isn't God trying to try to strong arm his people. This isn't God trying to say, you better give me money because I need. Look, God doesn't need money. God's got all the money. But God is making sure his people understand how important this is because when we give God what is due to God, God can give us more. And we're not talking about, I'm not prosperity preaching here. I'm not just talking about money, but he will give you more money. He, if he can trust you with it, he knows what's going to ruin you. I, I'm convinced there's probably a lot of Christians who aren't millionaires because God's like, that would send you straight to hell and I know it. But it's not about riches on earth. It's about being trusted with God's economy. So not only does God say, listen, that's 30% if you want to keep it. But beyond that, God calls it later in the Bible, he calls it theft against God. Malachi 3, 8 through 11. God speaking through the prophet Malachi says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? You have robbed me in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. But listen to this. He gives them a chance to turn it around. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Think about that. God says when we do not give our tithes, we are robbing him. (laughs) Like breaking into his house and stealing from God. That's something we should take seriously, right? But then there's more. He reminds us of the blessing that comes from tithing. He says, if you give the full tithes and the contributions, or other translations say offering, we'll get into that in a minute. He says, there will be food in my house. Okay, for one, y'all come to church. You want the church to stay open. God's just being practical, right? He said, of course, this is, we're talking about the Old Testament. The dynamic was slightly different, but the principle is the same. You want the lights at church to stay on, pay your tithes, right? Very simple. You want the pastor to keep showing up on Sundays, right? You still want to have a building to be in? You want to have events? You want flyers? You want to outreach? You want to see souls saved? You want God's will to be advanced through the church that you claim to be a part of? Then do what God says. And that's the practical side of it for the house of God. That's the first thing he says. But then he says, put me to the test. Right? If it was 2023, he would have said, mess around and find out. (laughs) He says, put me to the test on this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing. (laughs) So in other words, he's like, see if I won't try me. And, and back in our revival with evangelist Adrian Farley back, back in October, he, he shares this testimony of a woman in his church when he was pastoring. 
uh, or maybe he was evangelizing and he was in. Anyway, he says, give a offering that hurts and see what God will do. And he said this woman in his church who had never given gave, I think it was $4,000. And the way he says it, she came up to him after the service. Uh, yeah, it was a church that he was pastoring because otherwise he wouldn't have known that. And she said, I gave $4,000. I needed that money for a renovation in my, in my kitchen. That's what I had it set aside for. And I gave it to prove that God wouldn't do anything. <laughs> she ain't ever read this verse. And of course, God says, mess around and find out. Put that money in and see what I do. And the story goes on that um, she had an old rusted car in her backyard that she hated looking at. She had had it there for years. And the contractor comes to look at uh, the remodel and he gives her a quote. And it was like, I think it was like $8,000 or whatever it was. And then he says, but I have a question for you. What are you going to do with that car in your backyard? She goes, nothing. I don't want it there. And he goes, I will do the renovation for you if you give me that car. A rust bucket in her backyard that she wanted gone covered the renovation. Think about that. She goes, I'm going to give to prove that God won't do anything. And God says, watch this. And of course, he tells the story that she became a faithful tither after that. Imagine that. Put me to the test, says God. And, and I've shared this before. My personal testimony, when I finally decided to start tithing, things changed. I, I don't like to get personal. I don't like to share with you guys like how much I make and all that stuff. Everybody gets weird with stuff like that, right? But I can honestly tell you from the day that I started tithing to this day, I make almost twice as much now. And that was a about four or five years. Not a very long time. Not like I was a high schooler, right? I, I wish I'd started tithing in high schooler, but I grew up in church. I didn't tithe faithfully until I was in my mid-20s. But then he goes on to say, not only will I open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing, but I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. So in other words, everything in this world that's trying to come for that blessing, I'll say, not today, get lost. Right? So I will bless you, and you'll still have gas in your tank. Chicken on your plate. Right? Chicken's getting expensive. I don't know because I don't do the shopping, but my wife tells me about it. And she said it's getting expensive. So God says, put me to the test. I will open up the windows of heaven to bless you. And beyond that, I will rebuke the devourer. So everything in this world that wants to take that blessing from you, I will rebuke the de that's That's Bible talk for I'll kick its butt until it go away. <laughs> See, not only just the blessing, but I will, I will stop whatever it is that's coming for that blessing. You know, sometimes we get scared quickly. And before God can rebuke the devourer, we're like, okay, fine, take it. And then we're like, God, where were you? <laughs> well, you're supposed to be behind me, not in front of me. You see, the reality is, though, today in the modern church, there is a strategy against tithes. 
There's a strategy against the modern church and tithing and being faithful with money. Why? One, because people love money. That's the, that's the, the truth. But what people today say, modern Christians today say tithes were part of the law, so we are free from the law by the blood of Jesus. Right? That's, that's, that's the most common thing that they say. Well, when Jesus died, he set us free from the law. We're not under the law anymore, so we don't have to pay our tithes. Well, there's two issues with that. One, if you're so set on being out from underneath the law, read the New Testament and you'll be given a lot more than 10%. Because New Testament Christians were very generous. But all that aside, it is true. The, the tithing was part of the law. That part is not, uh, is not untrue. However, it was a practice before the law. So in other words, God put it into law, but it was a practice of God's people before the law was given. All the way back to Genesis, Cain and Abel speaks about the, the fall of Cain and how he kills his brother. It's a very popular story, and everybody's like, he killed him with a rock, but he doesn't actually kill him with a rock. Look it up. And we talk about the anger issues of Cain and all that stuff, and sometimes we miss the finer details. It talks about, the start of the story says that Abel brought an offering to God, and so did Cain. Giving to God was, an ex was exemplified long before the law was given, and long after. But one of the best examples of this is Abraham himself. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with the timeline, Abraham was the first in the genealogy of Israel. He was the promise. God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to have so many kids. You won't be able to count them. Like all these things, all these promises. It's a beautiful thing. And then you go down the line all the way to Moses. I think four or five or six generations actually more than that, I think. It's, yeah, it's more than that. Is when the law was given. So this is hundreds of years before the law was given. We see Abraham in the book of Genesis give tithes to a man named Melchizedek. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this. The story Melchizedek, it's this, it's, it's pretty um, interesting uh, story. But nonetheless, basically what, oh man, I'm Time's running out. <laughs> Abraham, you ever, you guys ever seen the movie uh, 300? Yeah. Shame on you. That was, <laughs> <laughs> Abraham was the original 300. He was God's 300. And the story goes that the, these five kings come in and they attack Sodom and Gomorrah where Abraham's brother or nephew is, is living. They're living life over there. Abraham ain't with them because he ain't about that life. And the five kings conquer these lands. They take uh, a bunch of people captive, including Lot. And Abraham says, not on my watch. And the story goes that he takes 300 of his best men to go against five kings. It's pretty remarkable. He goes, he goes in and he defeats the five kings. He gets his brother back or his nephew back and he gets all the other people back and then some. He takes the spoils of the kings and he's returning to his land after a tremendous victory, supernatural victory. And he comes across this man on his way back that the Bible calls Melchizedek, king of Salem. 
And with I, I don't have time to get into all the details, but ultimately Melchizedek, if you study it, is a what they call a Christonian manifestation. So in other words, Jesus Christ. If you don't know, Jesus actually appears physically several times in the Old Testament. They just don't call him Jesus. In this case, they call him Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. King of Salem means king of peace. And the Bible de describes him as having no father, no, no mother, no genealogy. It's, this, it's, it's pretty amazing to study, but that's not the point. And, but what Abraham does is he takes a tenth of everything he has and he gives it to this dude, Melchizedek. Sound familiar? And when we study it and we realize that Melchizedek is who? Jesus. What did Jesus establish? The New Testament law, the New Testament covenant. He gave it to Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I think we should still be paying tithes. And then beyond that, Jesus, when he rebukes the Pharisees, it's called the seven woes to the Pharisees. One of these woes in Matthew 23, verse 23, he says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, if we, if we miss that last sentence, we, we miss what Jesus is saying. Because a lot of people like to read this and leave out that last sentence. And, and, and they're saying, well, Jesus is saying that having justice and mercy and faithfulness is more important than tithing. Yes, yes, he is. That is exactly what he's saying. But then he says, these you ought to have done. So in other words, he's saying, you're right in doing those things, but you're neglecting other things that are very important to God. So we read this and Jesus himself says, yeah, you guys are doing right by paying your tithes, but you also have to have righteousness, justice, and mercy. And then the last thing is the fruit from tithing is undeniable. And what I mean by that is talk to anybody who's tithed faithfully for some time and they will have some stories to tell. They will have testimonies to share about what God has done, how he has moved through their faithfulness in giving. This is why God says, try me, see what I will do, because he will do something. And anyone, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll put that to the test, anyone who has tithed faithfully for some time, and by some time I mean like of several years, right? You know, some people pay tithes three or four times, they're like... Why aren't I rich yet? <laughs> it takes time. It takes time. But the fruit from tithing, the fruit from giving what God says is his and holy to him is undeniable. There's too many stories to disprove it. So that's tithing. <laughs> wow. We got to pick up the pace here. The next thing is offering. What is offering? It's anything more than 10% that you give to God, that you put in the tithing basket. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Paul is speaking about giving an offering. In this particular case, it's giving a, what you might call now today in our fellowship a love offering, but nonetheless an offering. And he says, Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
So that is the offering. Anything beyond 10%, so 11%. You're like, I'm going to give an extra five bucks. That's offering. An extra 50, 100 bucks, whatever it is. God says that the 10 is his. That's not optional. But we also need to honor God with the 90. We need to live a life of good stewardship before God with the 90. And one of those ways, not the only way, but one of those ways is giving offering. Sometimes we give an offering just out of sheer joy and thankfulness to praise God with our money. <laughs> I don't want to break any, burst your bubble here, but tithing isn't praising God, it's obeying God. Offering is worshiping God with your money. So sometimes we just want to simply say, God, I'm so thankful for your provision in my life, for whatever, for this or whatever, and I'm going to give a little extra. Other times the Holy Spirit compels us. Right? The Spirit's like, that 20 in your wallet that you're saving for? Yeah, see, y'all didn't have a hard time coming up with that 20 in your wallet. The Holy Spirit will speak to that 20 in your wallet. Put it in. That 20 in your bank account. You know the church's cash app. Right? Sometimes the Spirit will do that. And then that's when we sit there and we go, I got to give my tithes, God. Right? And the Holy Spirit says, give it. You know, when the Holy Spirit says that, it means he's got better plans than you do with that money. But both times, whether giving out of joyfulness and thankfulness, out of praise and worship to God, or giving out of obedience to the, to the Holy Spirit compelling us, both things are seen and rewarded by God undeniably. What does Malachi 3 say? The, the ESV version that we read said the tithes and contributions. Other translations say tithes and offerings. It's the same concept. Now there's also a lesser known and honestly way under practice form of offering and it's called the first fruits offering. Now, I hope I can get through this quickly. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, many people read first fruits in the Old Testament and they immediately associate it with tithes. And they do overlap at times. Uh, but ultimately, the first fruits offering was a separate thing. It was something that they would do uh, once a year because, as I've said before, they live on crops and that was when they would harvest but ultimately, first fruits is referring to a new blessing, to put it simply, a new crop that they've harvested, a new uh, litter of sheep, or whatever you call a bunch of you know baby sheep. <laughs> For us today, it's a raise, it's an inheritance, it's saving fifteen percent or more on car insurance. <laughs> Sorry, Bianca. It's things like that, areas in your life where God says, I've blessed you, right? You, so just to make this practical, these, th those are what you would call a first fruit, an increase. A, th th it says produce, but for us it would be more accurately an increase, something that you got that you didn't have before. 
So a first fruits offering is when we take the first of that new blessing and we give some or all of it to God. That depends on what, what you feel, what you pray about, what God asks of you. But the first fruits in the original uh, Hebrew actually means the best of. So in the festival of the first fruits in the Old Testament, if a guy comes and they're supposed to give the first fruits of, here we go again, ten sheep, he would not only take what he agreed upon with God, whether it's one or two or three or whatever, or all of them, he would give the best of those. That is why it's called the first fruit. Not just first in order, but first place. Grand prize. So they would do this once a year. Every year they would have the festival of the first fruits. And people who harvest grain, they would take the first sheath of grain that they harvest. They wouldn't use it for themselves. They give it to God. And this is what they would call um, an offering of expectation. That God, you've blessed me with this and I know that there is more to come. So I will give thanks to you for what is yet to come. Proverbs 3, 9 in the NLT words it this way, and I think it words it very well. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best of everything you produce. You see, a lot of times we get the, we get the new blessing and we run with it, right? And, and sure, we give the 10% out of it. Let's just make it simple. Let's, you get a $2 an hour raise. That's a pretty good bump, right? And so your tithing goes up, right? Of course, simple math. But the offering of the first fruits would say that first check that you get, $2 for every hour is your increase, right? So let's say you worked 10 hours for simple math. 10 times 2 is 20. You made an extra 20 bucks on the first check of your raise. The offering of the first fruits, the concept of that is saying that extra, that boost, that increase, I'm going to give some or all of it to God. Because I'm thankful for what he's done and I'm expecting for him to continue to do that. So, you know, it, th there's, there's not a prescribed amount that it says. It's just between you and God. Saying, God, you know what, out of this first fruits, out of this blessing, I'm going to give a first fruits offering back to you. Whatever it is. Like I said, a, a pay raise, an unexpected bonus at work. An inheritance, saved money on a bill, right? Your car insurance went down 20 bucks. This is the concept of that, and I do believe that it is under-talked about and under-practiced in the modern church. It is a way to show God that gratitude for his increase that he put in your life. Okay, that's enough about giving to God. Now, what about giving to people? Okay, so I said before, when we talk about giving as a Christian, the first thing we think about is, is tithes and offerings, right? But the second thing you might have thought about, and oftentimes is not thought about enough in the modern church, is giving to people. So the first type of giving to people is giving to those in need. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Proverbs 28, 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And this Hebrew word for poor is dal, 
which literally just means poor, weak, needy, or low. So in other words, it's everything from the homeless guy on the street to a brother in the church who's going through a hard time. And everything in between. And Jesus himself said that when you give to the poor, when you help the needy, when you clothe the, those who have no clothes, you've done it as if you've done it unto me. You see, the word of God, you can read it front to back, and if you, countless times that God speaks about giving to those in need, that God speaks about giving generously. And after all, for us, it's only a mere comparison to what God has given us in the midst of our spiritual depravity and weakness. How could we not give to those who need it? So that's giving to, to the, those in need, and then there's giving simply just to be a blessing. Right? You know what, brother? You know what, sister? I was thinking about you the other day. I saw this at the store, and I thought you'd like it, and I bought it for you. Here you go. Right? Giving just simply to be a blessing because you care about somebody, because you want to bring joy to their life. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25. One, who, uh, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Other withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. You see, this proverb is teaching us that giving releases blessing in our life. Anyone who has lived a generous life with the goal of honoring God has experienced this. It might look different from one person to another. Their stories are different. It's not like an re instant replay on everybody's life. But God's word says it. God's word says that when you give, when you be a blessing in my name, I will bless you. When we give just to be a blessing to someone and to give glory to God, we are expressing God's love through more than just our words, but in our deed. Right? We say all the time, love you, brother. Love you, sister. Shaking hands at church. God bless you. When was the last time you blessed them? Just to be a blessing. Right? It's that song I talked about last week. I am rescued, called Blessy. I'm blessed to be a blessing. He understood. He's, he's, he's a, a well-known, in the Christian world at least, um, music artist, and he makes good money. And he understands, God has blessed me so that I can bless others. God tells Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the world. Listen, if we aren't blessing people with our blessings, then we're probably going to run out of blessings. So often in life, God blesses us out of his abundance, and his word calls us to do the same. It's like paying it forward, right? God blessed me, so I'm going to bless you. Hebrews 13, 6 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God is pleased with us when we are honoring him and loving like him. Sometimes God blesses us with things that he gives just because he loves us. He gives us more than we need, a lot. But also giving releases us from the grips of possession, wealth, and greed that this world has. 
The proverb that I just read says, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Right? We don't give. If, if, when we don't give, we end up only wanting more. Like, we don't give because we, we want what we have and then some. Right? It's just, you guys ever see, like, especially lately, like, the richest man in the world, like, the standings of, like, it changes around and these people care about this. Could you imagine having two, being $200 billion rich and giving a crap who has more money than you? But they do. And it matters a lot to them. Like, it's important to be high up. and, Dude, you got a lot of money. Just chill out. Right? That's what us poor folks say. Us common folk. Why is that? Because when you, all you want is more, and you don't give freely, you'll never have enough. We don't give because we only want more. And if we want more, we should start with being thankful for what we have and sharing it with those who don't have. But when we give, we learn that what we have is enough. We learn to be thankful for what God has given us, and God will give us more. And I'm not just talking about monetary value. I'm not just talking about your net worth. I'm talking about God will give us more. Yeah, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's spiritual blessing. Sometimes he restores things in your life that you never could have fixed. Because what does Jesus say? If I can trust you with little, I can trust you with much. Guess what? No matter how much we have on earth, it's, it's all little to God. But God says, if I can trust you with little, I can trust you with more. So we give to bless and honor God and not for our own recognition, right? You see in the paper, so-and-so donated a million dollars to, you know, whatever. And I always laugh. I think the last one was Michael Jordan. He gave a million dollars to something. I can't remember what it was. And, and I don't knock him for doing that. That's a lot of money, and I'm sure it really helped the situation. But the dude's a billionaire. Like, that would be like me pulling out, a, like, five bucks and giving it to one of you guys. Like, nobody's writing newspaper articles about that. But, and like I said, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. That's a lot of money, and I don't remember what he gave it to, but I'm sure it helped a lot, right? A million dollars is a lot of money. And that's not what I'm getting at, I'm not, and I shouldn't have even said that, I guess. But the point is that a newspaper article was written about it. But Jesus says to actually do the opposite. Matthew 6, 2 through 4 says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and also your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God cares a lot about us doing the right thing simply because it's right. Simply because it honors Him, not because it honors us. Charles Spurgeon and his wife um, according to a story written in Chaplin Magazine, would sell um, eggs from their chickens. They had chickens that laid eggs. They would sell the extra eggs, and they refused to ever give them away. Even close relatives were told, you may have them if you pay for them. 
And as a result, some people labeled the, the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping because of this. And they accepted the criticisms without defending themselves. And it was only after Mrs. Spurgeon died that the full story was revealed. You see, all the profits from the sale of eggs went to support two elderly widows. Because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what their right hand was doing, they endured attacks in silence. Think about that. Like, we might give in silence, but as soon as somebody criticizes us for something, we're like, but I gave it to some elderly widows. And they said, you guys say what you want to say. God knows what we're doing. We give to honor God, not ourselves. And when we do that, God sees us, and his word says that he rewards us. So lastly, why do we give? Right? I've already, I've already given you guys enough whys, but I'm going to give you some more. We give because freedom is found when we honor God in giving. When we give, we find true freedom in our lives. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And if you just stop right here, you're like, okay, yeah, that could be a lot of things, right? But then he singles down one thing. You cannot serve God and money. Right? He says that and we're like, okay, yeah. I got to focus on God and not my career, right? I got to focus on God and not my this or whatever. You know, I got to put God before. But then he says, you cannot serve God and money. Do we serve God or money? Do we serve God or the world? You see, listen to this. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four Gospels, one out of every six verses deals with money. One out of every six in three books of the Bible. Of the 29 parables that Jesus told, 16 of those parables deal with a person and his money. Why? Is it because Jesus was money hungry? Is it because he wanted to get his fourth vacation home on the shores of Galilee? No. You see, in fact, we see Jesus having the opposite mentality. Later on in the story, a woman breaks, uh, the story is very well known, a woman breaks a vial of oil and pours it over Jesus. And the Bible says that his disciples saw that this woman did that, and that oil was worth a lot of money. A lot of money. And the, his disciples began to rebuke this woman and said, you should have sold it and given the money to the poor. You know what's interesting? This, this, this story is recorded in a couple of the Gospels. One of them says that Judas told Jesus we should sell the oil and give the money to the poor. And then in parentheses it says, because Judas was the keeper of the money bag and he was stealing from it. So why does Jesus deal with money so much? Because he knows the heart of man. And he knows that we cannot effectively serve him without being able to release our money and our possessions into his hands. We either serve God or we serve money. We either serve God or we serve the world. And I don't know if you've picked up on this yet, but the world revolves around money. 
you see, we think, oh, there's a lot of things we can do for fun, right? For free, go to the park, right? You're paying for that park in your taxes. I don't know if you all know that. You see, the reality is, listen to this. If you aren't tithing, you aren't being a blessing to God and to people with your money, big or small. That tells you which one you're serving. It's simple. If we are not tithing, we aren't being a blessing to God and to people with our money, and that tells you who you're serving right there. If you can't do with your money what God asks you to do, that tells you who you're serving. Listen to me. This is the truth for, I mean, I don't want to be extreme, but I'm going to say 100% of mankind. Probably not 100%, but pretty close. Two of the hardest things to give to God, our lives and our money. And many people give their lives to their money. And they lose one or both in the process. But if we can't devote our lives and our resources to God, I'm sorry, if we can, if we can devote our lives and our resources to God, His Word promises that we will have both. That we will have enough, that God will provide for His children, and that we will live life and live it abundantly. When we give in God's name, we are declaring freedom over the slavery of the world and its possessions. We are submitting ourselves to God and freeing ourselves from the grips of the world. And also we give because we cannot outgive God. You know, when we give in God's name, or not in God's name, if God considers it a good thing, He actually considers it from Him, not from you. <laughs> I know, I hate to burst your bubble on that one too, but it's true. Why? Because God created everything, you and I and all the, and all the world and everything in it. It's all His. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Think about that. Everything. So if, if that five bucks I was talking to you about earlier, that is compared to Michael Jordan's one million dollars, if I take five bucks and I give it to one of you guys and you're like, wow, this is great. That's actually from God. That's what the Word of God says. Why? Because it wasn't mine anyway. Everything we have is given to us from God. And when we give it, we're simply transferring ownership of something that is God's to somebody else. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Think about that name of God for a second. The Father of lights right? Even the light came from him. Like it all came from him. Everything, everything good you have plus everything good you give is in reality God's and nobody else's. And the more we give, the more he gives because it's ultimately all from him. We can't outgive God. And simply, we give with all generosity because it is the least we can do to glorify Him and to express the love of Jesus to others. Because He not only outgives us, but He gave us the ultimate gift in Jesus Christ. John 3.16, everybody in the world knows this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave 
gave what? His only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. I think today, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. 200 and like 50 something billion dollars. Guess what? He can't buy eternal life with that. And I'm not ragging on him. You know, people who are rich, good for them. I hope they use it for God's glory. That's between them and God. And I'm not going to sit here and bash on people who are rich. I mean, I wouldn't mind being a billionaire, right? We'd all be lying if we said otherwise. God knows if we can handle that or not. That's a whole different discussion. But God gave something we could never give, something we could never match, so that he could buy for us something we could never buy, something we could never earn, eternal life. The richest man in the world, not even close. Because it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ that he gave for us so that we could have eternal life, so that we could give and be a blessing to others. God gave himself for us so that we could live. And giving back to him, giving to others, when you really put it into perspective, really isn't that much to ask. 10% of our paycheck? Like if we truly appreciated eternal life and the salvation that we get from Jesus Christ, we're like, 10%? That's a bargain. Because the truth is, all that God asks of us will never compare to all that he's given us. And when we are truly serving him, giving is just something that comes naturally to us. And it is a joy to do it. To give freely in the name of God, to bless the Lord, to bless his house, and to bless other people, and ultimately bring blessing upon ourselves. Giving is such a crucial element to the walk of a Christian. And when we truly embrace it, we see a change in our life that we never understood. I, I said it before, money is spiritual. Y'all are like, no, it's a green piece of paper. God says it himself. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? Why? Because he understood what it does to people. Just like anything, we can use it for good or we can use it for evil. Right? The, the other flip side, one thing I say all the time, this thing can either be a super resourceful tool or it can be a harsh slave driver. If we give freely to God what is rightfully his, we give freely to him and we give freely to others and we be a blessing to others, we will experience a supernatural releasing in our lives that we could never understand without being on that side of it. And God says himself, Malachi chapter 3, test me on this. And I want to encourage you tonight. If you are not a regular giver, if you're not tithing regularly, if you're not offering regularly, if you're not being a blessing to people around you. You know, sometimes we say, I can't afford to tithe. But the Bible says you can't afford not to tithe. If you aren't doing it regularly, I'm challenging you through the Word of God because the Word of God challenges you to do it. Do it and see what God will do. Ask around. Ask around people in this church that tithe faithfully. They'll have stories. They have stories. Test God on this because his word says you can, and he will come through for you. And he will do more than you ever dreamed of. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.